And we're so glad uh, that you're here. So starting right off, if you've ever visited a foreign country, sometimes it can be a little uncomfortable. How many of you have been in a foreign country? Now, I mean beyond silt, okay? <laughs> sometimes you don't know there. Um, say you're in a foreign country and you wander around. You're in a, maybe a part of town that doesn't look so appealing and people start looking at you and pointing at you. And somebody yells something while they're pointing. You don't know what they're saying, but it looks like they're getting really mad. And a bunch of them bunch up and come over and they're talking and yelling and mad. And they grab you and they drag you off. You don't know where you're going. This is not looking good. But they drag you off to this spot where there's some guys there. So they make the rules of the neighborhood and they strip you and they beat you with clubs. And then they tie you up and leave you. Now, that wouldn't be pleasant. You know, that is not on travel advisory, right? That would not be good. But that's what happened to Paul and Silas when they were traveling and they were in Philippi. We're going to be looking today at Acts chapter 16 and just kind of wonder exactly what happened to these guys. Because they were. This wasn't make-believe for them. This wasn't just a story. They were in town... They were uh, uh, ganged up, drug away before the magistrates in Philippi. And they were stripped and they were beaten with rods. They were thrown in jail into a dungeon and their feet put in stocks. Now, the stocks aren't just to immobilize you. They're also torturous devices. And they're there. If you've ever had road rash, they've got it all over their body. Every square inch. Bleeding, cuts, maybe something broken. Uh, you know, when you're, uh, they're in a bad way. How, how did this happen? I mean, how did they wander into this? Well, actually, Paul, in the chapter before, was given a letter by the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. There was a controversy back then. Do the non-Jews have to become Jewish before they can be Christians? And at this council, it was determined, no, they don't have to become Jews or observe Jewish law in order to believe in Jesus Christ just by faith alone. And so Paul's got this letter, and it's liberating. And he's taken it to churches that he founded in Asia Minor, which was an area of the Roman Empire. Now it's Turkey. And they were going to these towns and saying, hey, guys, pressure's off. There's no need anymore that you got to follow all these rules. Well, they got through all the towns they had been to, and they still headed kind of northwest, and they wanted to maybe start a new church or preach, but God wouldn't let them. They finally got to this little seaport town called Troas, and it is on the western coast of Asia Minor of Turkey. And while they were there, Paul had a vision in the night. We're going to go to Acts chapter 16, and we are going to go during, verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, Macedonia is a state, kind of, in Greece, in Europe. And uh, Philippi is a major town. Macedonia, Philippi, were all 
sort of the legacy of Philip II, who was the father of Alexander the Great. And they were looking to go over into Macedonia, into this major city of Philippi. In fact, it says here, and there's a change of um, pronouns, it says, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding God had called, who's we? Well, they were joined by Luke, the physician, there in Troas. Timothy, Paul, Silas. In fact, for the rest of the book of Acts, it's a we. Uh, eyewitness, uh, right there. All right, so what happens is, is that they, they take a boat, they get across, and they go to Philippi. And once they're there, Paul usually goes to the synagogues, but in Philippi, which is a Roman colony, different than a Roman city. A colony means they've got it all outfitted just like Rome. And the magistrates there, uh, and, and when they get to Philippi, they want to go to a synagogue, but there aren't any because there's not enough Jewish people. You've got to have 10 to build a synagogue, and there weren't 10 Jewish people. Now, the Jewish people were dispersed from Judea several hundred years ago, uh, plus now, and they're all over the Middle East. So in almost every town there's a synagogue, but not Philippi. Paul and Silas decide that maybe let's go down by the river to pray. We might find some believers there, even though there's no Jewish people in the city. So it says they went down and they found a group of people, started speaking to them. Verse 14, one of those listening was a woman, and her name was Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth, and she was a worshiper of God. Now what that means is, is that in uh, the first century of the Roman Empire, it was polytheistic. And you could choose Zeus or Jupiter or Isis, uh, or you could have them all. You could worship all of them. But this lady, who was a merchant, decided that Yahweh of the Old Testament, of the Jewish people, was the true God. And she began worshiping God, and that's, she didn't have a whole lot of information about that. She didn't know about Jesus. But Paul began telling her a message and the message, you could, you could imagine, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. That was the message. And what it says there is that the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's. What would that feel like? Have, have you ever noticed the time when your heart became open to the things of God? That somehow, I mean, it's like you're interested, you're curious, you're studying, you're singing, but somehow there is this opening into your heart. Maybe you've experienced that. If you haven't, like I told the first service, you might get ready because it could happen right here today. I want to ask you to be ready for God to open your heart to receive from him today something that you desperately need. Because Paul had told her about Jesus Christ, Son of God, who had lived just 20 years before over in Judea, how in Jerusalem they crucified him, he died for our sins, and he rose again. And now they're bringing the message to Europe. This is the very first footstep of the Christian message, the gospel, into Europe. This is a really big thing. And so later on during the week, they were going to go back to the river to pray, all the way to church, and all of a sudden, this slave girl 
who had traffickers, handlers, who took her around, perhaps had her by a rope or a chain. And uh, she was a sorceress from Delphi. You may have heard of the oracles of Delphi, where people would go and say, what's my future? What's, who should I marry? Where should I go? And uh, they would get their supposed answers from these demon-possessed sorcerers, and she was one. And she would tell people, uh, they would come and ask her, what is our future? What's going to happen? And she would tell them, and then they would pay money to the handlers, to the traffickers. And they had made a lot of money in Philippi because back then there was no uh, CNN or, or Fox News. You had to go, this person was going to tell you what's going to be happening. As they met her, she began following them around and yelling at the top of her lungs. And this is what she was saying. She was saying, uh, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Why would a demon declare that these are servants of the Most High? See, Most High God is kind of a code word. Uh, it's not Zeus. It's not Jupiter. It is Most High God. It's, it's God. And they're telling you the way to be saved. Why would a demon follow around and do their PR for them? Well, we don't know exactly. Uh, we do know that when Jesus walked the earth, he would go to a place and there'd be a person there, demon-possessed, and they would come and say, Son of God, why have you come? And he would say, shut up, not now. It wasn't time. He would cast them out. But Paul allowed her to follow them around, yelling, these are the guys who can tell you how to be saved. This is a power encounter. This is the uh, foothold in Europe, and Satan takes his best shot. Slave girl, demon-possessed of the demon Python. And she goes around telling that they're servants of the Most High, through which you can be saved. I do not understand how this works. It may have been like the demons around Jesus. They couldn't proclaim anything but the truth when they were in the presence of someone of God. Or it could be that she was just trying to co-opt or hijack <coughs> what they were doing so that she could get in on, on their praise. We don't know. But she said, they'll tell you the way to be saved. Now, what does the word saved mean? If you were in the first century of the Roman Empire, what would it mean to be saved? Salvation. Now, we got some folks here I met before from Arkansas. And they could tell you what it means to be saved. You're going to heaven when you die. But back then, they didn't know anything about heaven. Saved was a word that was in use in the Roman Empire. And it meant, the word is sozo. And it meant something like a holistic well-being. Your debts are paid. You're, you're, you're free from disease. You are restored. You are respected. You are, you're whole... It's the very best of what you could ever want. Kind of like now winning the Powerball. You win the lottery, and your uh, wife comes home, and your dog returns, and you get a new truck, and uh, people like you, and, you know, <laughs> you're feeling good, you're healthy. Saved is the very best you could ever hope for yourself. And she's saying, these guys have got it. You better listen to them. 
And Paul got tired of it. After a couple of days, he turned around and he said to her, uh, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, that spirit left her and she probably just collapsed. That animating spirit was gone. And her handlers were like, what? Tell us some future. Tell us. And she said, I got nothing because the demon's gone. And they're like, uh-oh, <laughs> there goes our income. And so they get really mad and start pointing at Paul and Silas and the guys and saying, hey, these guys are messing things up here in Philippi. And they grab them and they drag them into the city market where the magistrates are sitting. Now, the magistrates in a Roman colony, their number one job, you got one job, keep the peace. We don't want any riots or stuff because if the Roman Empire hears about it and sends people here, you're going to be held responsible. And so just keep the peace. It's kind of like parents driving in the front seat. Just in the back, we just want to keep the peace. That's all we want, all the way. And so what they do, and they're hearing these guys accuse Paul and Silas, this is what they said. These men are Jews. They're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful to us Romans to accept or practice. Now, why didn't they just go and say, hey, these guys ruined our business for us? I mean, look at our poor slave girl, man. She can hardly say a word now. No, they, they, they wanted to accuse them on the big scene. These are Jews. Now, remember, there's not many Jews in Philippi. Maybe they didn't feel comfortable there. And they're advocating practices that we Romans can't do. The Romans did a lot of dirty stuff. <laughs> but these guys are advocating something that we, as Romans, they're saying there is a God above, above the Roman emperor. And we can't, we can't tolerate that. And the crowd went wild. So the crowd goes wild and joins the attack. And the magistrates order them to be stripped and beaten. And in verse 23, after they had been severely uh, flogged. Now, back in the day in the Roman Empire, there were uh, four or five guys who would go around with the magistrates who were called lictors. And it came from a word that indicated that they beat people with rods, with long poles. And so they just went around with the magistrates just waiting for somebody to get sentenced, get beaten, because they love that part. And so here they are. They're, they're giving them a licking because they're lictors. You got it? You see what I was doing there? And, and Paul and Silas, I mean, this, it was not good for them because they were trained torturers. And they would beat every part of their body. So that every part was bruised and bleeding and broken. And uh, they stripped them naked, beat them, and then they took them and threw them into prison. And told the jailer, hey, you better keep these guys safe because they have offended uh, the Roman Empire and put them in stocks. And so here's Paul and Silas. Now, it may have been about midday when they got arrested and beaten. And it's been, now it's nighttime. What would you say or think if you had experienced this kind of mistreatment and you were, you were still hurting? You know, this, this is not, uh, not Hollywood. You're, you're hurting bad. What would you say or think? Here you are, at best you know, you came over because God's in a vision to come to Macedonia. <laughs> I can imagine Silas saying, thanks a lot, Paul. Let's go on a missionary journey. It'll be fun, you said. 
And look here. I mean, look at the welcome we got in Europe. I'm out. I'm, I'm through with this. No, that's not what he said. What do you say in your midnight hour? What do you say when it comes crashing down? So many of us are, well, why me? I can't believe this is happening. God, why did you cause this? Why did you allow this? Why me? Get me out of this. You said you were my Savior. It's time to come and do some saving. Get me out. I don't like this. This is terrible. Complain. Gripe. That's the usual response when things don't go right. True? I mean, you're stuck in traffic on 82. <laughs> and you're thinking things that I can't even say out loud in church. What did Paul and Silas have in the midnight hour? What did they say, do, think? Well, we know. Because the next verse tells us about midnight, Paul and Silas, they were praying and singing hymns to God. Other prisoners were listening. Hey, they're in the drunk tank. This is not a pleasant place to be, and the people there aren't pleasant. And uh, they're probably all grappling and complaining, and Paul and Silas start singing. Probably the scribes of scholars feel they were singing uh, Psalms 113 to 18, the Hallel Psalms, Hallelujah Psalms. What? Are you kidding me? This is what your God does to you? You come over here with all intentions of bringing help? To the Macedonians, and this happens to you, and you're still loving God, trusting God, singing how great God is. Are you out of your mind? What's your midnight song? Now, Paul and Silas had no idea uh, what would happen next. As far as they knew, the next day, magistrates would come and uh, take them out, perhaps, put them deeper in the jail beat them again, kick them out. They did. It was not going to be pleasant when they're singing. They, they'd not read the next verse because it hadn't been written yet. And so they were singing in that midnight hour praises to God. Praises to God. Now, five years later, we'll come back to this in a second. Five years later, Paul was in jail again in Rome this time. And he wrote back to his friends in Philippi. You know of Lydia so far, in the little church, the first church on the continent, the first converts, and, and the love God, love people, people were there now. And so five years later, there's more people in Philippi in the church, and he writes to them in chapter 2, verse 13. Philippians 2, 13, right there on the screen. It will be there. Bang! Do everything without grumbling or arguing or complaining. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Is that still appropriate, warped and crooked generation? Uh, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Now, they know what happened with Paul. They saw the blood. They saw the bruises. Uh, they know what happened to him when he was in Philippi. Five years later, he's got creds, and he's saying to them, when you're in hard times, don't be arguing, complaining, griping. Instead, hold forth the word of life 
Express your love for God, and you'll shine like a star. How easy is it to uh, gripe and complain when things don't go right? How easy is it to complain about the boss or the company or the government? It's easy. You don't have to be a genius to do it. How hard is it to sing praises to God, to be pleasant, to be joyful in the midst of a difficult situation? It's a whole different deal, right? They had their midnight song, and they were just in their pain, in their crusted over wounds. They were singing praises to God. God, we love you. Uh, This isn't exactly what we planned on, but we love you, and we know you've got us. You've got us in your heart. You have, you're in our heart. Regardless of what happens to us, we're going to love you and going to serve you till our dying breath. And here we are. Jesus has died for us on the cross. He gave his life. He rose from the grave. And your life may be hard. There may be a difficulty for you. You may uh, get home and get the receipt and you didn't bring all the stuff home and things aren't working well. But Jesus still died for you. And he's still within you by the Holy Spirit. And he's given you the gift of joy that's beyond circumstances. Now, what that means is, if your circumstances are rotten, you have access to pure joy by the Spirit. You know why? Jesus died and paid for it already. It's your inheritance. Grab it. Choose it. When you're in those situations, choose it. I got a choice. I can grab, complain. I can say, hey, God, I still love you. Thank you for loving me. What are we going to do next? Instead of why me, it's like, okay, now we're here. What are we going to do next? As they sang, as they prayed, an incredible thing happened in that next verse. Suddenly, suddenly there was a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. Now, you would expect that. And by the way, this jail where Paul and Silas were is still, it's in ruins, but it's in Philippi. Now, next spring, David Corson is going to take a tour of of churches that Paul and Silas visited and going to go to Philippi. In May, you can be looking into the jail that you heard this sermon about today. Talk to David about that if you would like to be involved in that. And so they they were there, the foundations you would expect to be shaken, but the chains falling off? I mean, these hardened criminals are there in the earthquake. And they're like, what's going on? Bam. Oh, what happened? And the chains are gone. The doors fly open to the prison. And in that situation, after they flew open, the jailer woke up. <laughs> I'll probably wake up too. And he came to look and see what was going on. He expected there to be an empty jail. And if there was, he was going to die. He was responsible. If one prisoner got away, he was going to die. And so the jailer woke up, and he was very concerned. And when he came and looked in, Paul said to him, don't harm yourself. We're all here. So in other words, somehow Paul and Silas's attitude affected the other prisoners in such a way that they did not flee to escape. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He's the one who just put them in the stocks. And now he's like, who are you guys? 
What's going on here? And uh, he brought them out and asked to them, look at this question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? There's that word. He didn't know exactly what all saved meant, but he was looking at it. He was looking at people who are saved so solidly that when things are really bad, they're okay. And they're praising God. They have joy. from a, What is saved? Hopefully people where you work or in your home. I don't know exactly what it is technically, but look at him. Look at her. That's what saved is. And I want me some of that, is what the jailer said. So the jailer said to them, what must I do to be saved? And Paul replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Now, the jailer and the household heard the word of God. They were saved, baptized, and then they brought Paul and Silas out and cleaned their wounds and fed them. And there they are. The jailer still doesn't know what his future is going to be like because, I mean, the jail's in ruins and the magistrates are not going to like that. He could still be in a lot of trouble, but it says here that he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. I don't know what you're going to encounter when you leave here today and you head home. I don't know if traffic or things aren't going to work for you, or whatever's going to happen. But I can tell you that you can have joy. If you're saved, it's in your inheritance. The jailer was saved, and the church at Philippi grew. The next day, we know that Paul and Silas uh, met with the church again, and then left town and went on their journey. Here's the question right now as the band comes out. What is your midnight song? What song do you sing in your midnight hour? You may be in the midnight hour right now. You're probably going to be at some point in life where it just seems overwhelming. And you have a choice then of your words and your attitude. What is your song going to be? Now, I ask you at the first to be aware of opening your heart today for what God wants you to have. When you hear about the possibility that in the most difficult circumstances, you can be resourced with a joy that can give you a song in the night. Did you open your heart to that? Did you feel, did you feel that? I want to ask you, if you felt your heart open to receive what God has for you today, just raise your hand. That's it. I'm not going to do anything else. Just raise your hand if you open your heart. God opened your heart to receive. I mean, that's what you hope for every Sunday, right? When you come, that you'll leave with something more than you came with. And you may be here this morning, and you may, this may be your midnight hour. Things aren't going right. Doesn't look good. You can't figure it out. And it hurts on so many levels. And it's scary. In a moment, I'm going to ask everyone to stand. But right now, I want to ask, if you're here and you're in a midnight hour, I want to ask you to stand right now because I want to pray for you. Take a moment. Think about it. There you go. There you go. 
Yeah. Lord God, I want to pray for these folks who are standing and others who know they should be. That you will give them, by the power of the Holy Spirit and their faith in Jesus Christ, a song for the midnight hour. A song that will transform their emotions, their attitudes, give them hope, and give them joy in the midst of difficulty. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Would you, the rest of you, just stand with me, please? Because we're going to learn how to pray and sing the song for the midnight hour. This is going to be your midnight song. You may not be in an hour now, but you will be. So we're going to practice. We're going to raise an hallelujah because that's what Paul and Silas did. They sang the songs of hallelujah. And we are going to raise an hallelujah together. And it's practice. It's practice for the midnight. When you get there, you don't want to be unprepared. When you get there, you want to be ready with your song. And so today, sing perhaps more than you ever have. I raise an hallelujah. <laughs>